Welcome into this Sun Devil Source Report podcast. I'm Zane Hopin, joined by Kalen Jones and Chris Cartman, as always. And today we're going to dive into ASU's big win over Utah, 30-10 victory. And then we're going to uh, look a little more into the state of the program, as it's obviously been a bit of a roller coaster this year. And then uh, we're going to finish off this episode talking about ASU's odds to win the Pac-12 South, as it seems like every week they're getting better and better. But before we get into all that, fellas, how are we doing? Zane, when, when people treat you like nothing, you begin to feel like nothing, okay? So just make sure that you keep that in mind. I'll keep it in mind. Kaylin, okay. how you doing? I'm not feeling like nothing. I'm feeling like a million bucks, so... Hey, well, you know who That's else? That's because I treat you guys like a million bucks. Oh, That's thanks, true. Chris. That's I true. And a Jimmy that. Jones sandwich. Okay. You know, you know who's also <laughs> feeling like a million bucks today? Phil Bennett and the ASU defense. Rockin' performance against the University of Utah. Obviously, they won 30-10, to 10, like I mentioned. And, um, you know, really right off the bat, I don't even know how to intro this, but this just looks like a completely different Arizona State football team than what we saw in the beginning of the year. Yeah, it's really weird because – and we talked about before the podcast, like they have the front-line talent, and I feel like it's always a mark of good teams, not just in college football but pro football too. Like the good teams always have depth. ASU doesn't necessarily have that on defense in particular, but the way that they've overcome – or not necessarily overcompensated for that, but they compensated by – out-possessing teams and, you know, really punching them in the mouth early on and sustaining that throughout a full four quarters. It's really been interesting. And finally, switching somebody from offense to defense that actually that worked out for them, right? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> J.J. Wilson, how about that? Uh, I've been around this program for a number of years, and after seeing what transpired in the Washington game and in Utah game, I, I started to ask other people who have been watching ASU football for a long time, either in the athletic department or just – Long-time boosters or fans, have you seen anything like this turn around in such a short period of time? And pretty much the answer has been no, consistently. Um, some people say that the year before ASU went to the Rose Bowl in uh, the 96 Rose Bowl uh, season, in 95, at the end of that season, ASU really kind of flipped the switch and got things going. Uh, if you remember that, that year, uh, ASU got just destroyed by Nebraska to give up 70-something points uh, in Lincoln and then shut out Nebraska, of course, the next season. But uh, that really was a slower-developing thing, I think, than what we've seen so far this year. Um, Before the bye week, pretty much everybody that you talked to would have said, oh, this team's not going to a bowl game. This team's going to win three games, four games, five games. If they're lucky, they're going to be a 6-6 and type of a team. That was everybody. And even Todd Graham acknowledged that they weren't good. And so people, when people were saying stuff about the team, they were saying the truth about the team. Well, now their truth has just changed in a matter of weeks. And I, I racked my brain trying to find something like this from an ASU perspective that has happened. And I just couldn't find it. Um, definitely. We did see improvement in, in the, those first, like, probably from like the second game through the fourth game of the season where it was clear that they were getting better. But then you knew that their the the schedule the, and the opponents they were playing were going to be good teams. And so you just didn't think it would be anywhere near enough to be able to overcome that in such a short span. And now here we are just like three weeks later talking about a team that's in the running for the Pac-12 South division title. And it's almost bizarre. It like, it's just crazy to think about. But – but here we are, and uh, we're going to do our best to kind of go over it. 
Yeah, and we'll we'll get more into the perspective of this this whole turnaround after we look more into this Utah game where ASU was really pretty dominant. I mean, you you go into this we went into this game talking about how ASU was going to benefit from playing Washington a week earlier and the fact that, you know, stylistically and personnel-wise, they're pretty similar. But, I mean, I think everyone would agree, you know, Utah might be worse, obviously. (laughs) But, um, I mean, what we've seen from Utah the last couple years is a strong defensive team and an efficient offense that likes to control time of possession. And, you know, that's what we've seen ASU turn into, and they dominated Utah at their own game. Yeah, it, it was a more complete performance than the Washington game, which is weird to think because ASU, you're thinking at least last week that was peak ASU. And the players and coaches talked about it afterwards. They left points out on the field. You could honestly probably say the same thing about this matchup too. Mm-hmm. So it's really interesting to see how this progression week by week, you know, the full potential of what ASU really could be has not been, in my opinion, fully realized and they're able to go on the road and dominate a consistent program like Utah that just on the week last week, really, they could have pushed the USC to overtime if they had just kicked the field goal, and we could be talking about an even more significant victory for them. But um, it, it's really interesting to see just the progression of the ASU team overall and, you know, having really it be a full culmination against Utah last week on the road. I, I didn't see that coming at all. Uh Utah had some guys out that I think, had I known that they were going to be out before the game, I might have flipped my forecast from a close Utah win to a close ASU win. But the idea that ASU would be sitting there 23-3 to on the road in that, in that environment where it's been difficult to play, just no, I did not did not think that was going to happen. Same same thing, same feeling basically as, as against Washington when you're saying to yourself, how is this happening right now exactly? Just given the capability of those those teams and their coaching staffs, really. Uh, before this season, if somebody said, hey, rank the best coaches in the Pac-12, I would have had in my top three Chris Peterson and Kyle Whittingham, along with David Shaw, personally. Um, so so when, when, when you go on the road and play at Utah, you're not thinking – that an ASU team that's struggled at times this season quite a bit is going to go up there and just put a whooping on on that team, but that's that's definitely what happened. That that was a an extremely one sided football game, and uh, and it was it it was in all it was balanced between offense and defense mm-hmm. in terms of how they did it. They ASU was a better team on offense. ASU was a better team on defense. Utah is famous for having special teams advantages. ASU largely negated that. Uh, by not really having any clear miscues, and uh, and then dominated the turnover margin. Of course, when when those things are are the case, you're you're going to win more often than not, and, and a lot of times in a pretty convincing fashion. And I think one of the things that we need to just underscore here is the way ASU is playing now is 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 repeatable. This is a very exactly. like this is a reliable way of playing and winning football games. It's not like there's nothing fluky about it. Uh, it's not, you, they needed some, you know, types of huge plays that aren't going to happen in other games. Cause they're not even really getting a lot of big plays. And if, 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 if you defensively, if you limit opposing big plays, which they've now done, they've kept a top on these defenses. And part of that is a lack of potency probably from Washington and Utah. But uh, when you when you keep the top on the defense, when you don't allow those big runs through 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 the interior, when you play uh, um, a very disciplined style of football, keep in mind Utah had the two targeting 
uh, uh, ejections, which is 15 yards each. They had a late hit that was 15 yards. All that stuff really adds up, and even in you know in, in games that are close, much less ones that aren't. But um, it's just a very repeatable way of playing football that we're now starting to see happen. And I don't, I don't think it's really going to change. They, there may be some, some uh, a, a regression game where they give up some big plays that they haven't had, but their style and the, who they are and their identity, all that stuff is really starting to come into a sharper focus in a way that really projects well for this team the rest of this year and even into next year. Chris, and you talked about the, the injuries that Utah had. Uh, on the defensive side of the ball, one thing that was a big topic going into this game was on the offensive side, whether Tyler Huntley or Troy Williams should start this game. Yes. You know, Kalen, you mentioned Utah's performance against USC. Troy Williams led them in that game. Mm-hmm. Really very well could have won that game if it went to overtime, like you said. And Tyler Huntley struggled and looked rusty. And really, it was it was kind of odd to see as we got later into the game that they didn't try to put Troy Williams in. Yeah. Like Chris mentioned so many times uh, going into the game, that Troy Williams had probably the best game of his career against ASU last year. <laughs> yeah. Torched him. 296 passing yards, four touchdowns, no interceptions. And then Huntley has four interceptions and no touchdowns and bad, in this game. bad interceptions. Yeah. And it's weird because Graham, in past years, I'm thinking when Browning first, and he's a freshman, correct? Like Tyra Huntley. Or he's, Huntley? He's Sec- least, sophomore. He's, he's, at least a, a, he's a first year, but he's a first, first year, year starter. starter is what I mean. I'm sorry about that. But you look at Jake Browning, Josh Rosen. Um, I, I don't want to say the quarterback from Oregon. Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold, too. Uh, I, I don't think he, – he cooked against ASU, didn't he? He what? He killed ASU. when He, he cooked. Killed, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he cooked with gas. <laughs> he was cooking with gas. That, that was a totally yeah, different Yeah, Sam Darnold played but, well. I mean, pretty much but, everybody played well against but, ASU I mean, last but year. For the most part, at least in recent seasons, I haven't been around the program forever, but in recent years I can remember – Graham has seemed to always have success against, like, or not always. He's had majority success against these first-year starting quarterbacks where the defense just seems to have a handle on him. And I think that that definitely played into it. He looked completely lost at some points in the game when ASU was dropping. They were dropping, like, cover two, cover three shells, and he looked he didn't know where to go. He was waiting for the running lane to come, and even when he would be able to get outside the pocket, there was a good pursuit. So this is – I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. Like, well, that, it that's, like that's, that's, that's partly – the way they've decoyed their safeties, mm-hmm. so opponents don't really know who, how many people are, are are blitzing here, who and from where. They're still rushing with three a lot. Yeah, exactly. They're, They're not, not blitzing. That's that's why it's repeatable. You're not having to bring five and six man pressures yeah. all the time, and either you get to the quarterback or it throws a touchdown. <laughs> now they're yeah. now they're rushing three and four. Mm-hmm. They're keeping the top on the defense. Sometimes, you know, they're going to have some completions that they give up that are explosives, or maybe there's going to be some explosive runs. But it seems like those are they, those things are going to be fewer and far between just based on the style. Yeah, it's They're executing better. the style. The, the defensive players are getting more and more confidence about what they're doing. And they're, I noticed, like, in this game, as Utah was, was changing structures offensively, ASU players were just seamlessly adjusting to their new assignments. Before that took just a lot of just a lot of effort and communication and trying to figure it out and making sure and now it's just kind of happening. Uh, and Phil Bennett said this is going to be a journey, but I think the journey to being really good is actually a lot shorter than anybody really anticipated. I think that's a testament to their talent too. And because Graham Graham talks about how we recruited players to fit his system, but I wonder whether or not this system. I, I feel like benefits them a lot more than what they were 
doing before, and you could probably touch on that better than I can. Well, we we knew it's not like it's a surprise that Tayshawn Smallwood and JoJo Wicker and Christian Sam and and uh, and DJ Calhoun are capable of playing at a at a pretty high level. Yeah, like all conference level. We we already knew that they could. Right. So. In Kron Crump before he gets hurt, right? Correct. AJ Latu is playing better than we expected, but I thought he was at least a middle of the road, serviceable guy as a senior. He's got a good motor, plays hard. Uh, uh, um, Jamarcus Rhodes has definitely outperformed expectations, but right. moving him to Spur seemed to be the thing that allowed him to sort of come into his own. And then what Phil Bennett said is, he, he said it several times, and so it's almost like uh, he's trying to not be. Um, disrespectful at all to Todd Graham but in a way you kind of can tell that he's because he says you got to put Chad Adams in, the, in, in, position, in position to be successful you got to put him in the right situation yeah. he's a good player Daz Tautelatasi a lot of people told me Daz Tautelatasi can't play in the Pac-12 yes he can you just got to put him in the right situations Phil Bennett projected the team being better at cornerback remember yeah. when remember we like Creemore leaves and he's like, we're going to be better at cornerback. And everyone, including myself, was like, yeah. you're not going to be better at cornerback without, without Kareem Orr. And you know, and 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 they are. And and Kobe Williams has been fantastic. Chase Lucas has been good. But you don't see guys having to make plays that 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 they're not prepared to to be able to make in this defense. Guys are being put in situations to where they can be successful. And they are being success, successful. The talent thing, I think we're going to get into a little bit later in, in, in the podcast, but that's a very important point to make and and one that I'm looking forward to further fleshing out. So let's let's talk a little more about Phil Bennett here because we, we've kind of made a joke about it all year long, this, this marriage between Phil Bennett and Todd Graham and right. running the defense. It's going great. <laughs> it it is, and it is yeah. going. So let, let's – I, mean, I saw touch. them holding hands when they were leaving the building today. <laughs> So let's let's touch on that a little more because we've seen, you know, in the beginning we talked about Graham having to let Bennett take his mm. his baby, his love child, his defense, <laughs> and then but then they were struggling in the beginning, so we saw a little bit more of Graham's, you know, random blitzes bringing mm-hmm. the safeties Influence. up, and now so where, from what you guys can tell, where are we at right now in the Todd Graham Phil Bennett balance? I mean, obviously it's a great spot, but just schematically. What did you see from Utah and Washington? Because we haven't really talked about it in a while. Really, against Washington, they weren't all that aggressive. They were aggressive in spots. And I think I they think, had three or four six-man pressures. Yeah, and it's the timing of everything as opposed to being straight up, hey, this is what we're doing, and good luck stopping it. It's not that – It's like you mentioned earlier, it's either going to be a touchdown or we're going to get you for a sack. It's more um, – gosh, what's the word for being cal- – it's more calculated – yeah. It's not, you know, overly aggressive and overly reckless. Yeah, right. Reckless. reckless. That's the perfect <laughs> word for it. It's reckless because before and Zane, you and I were talking about it before. Like we were watching USC, how they throw linebackers covering. You you saw that last year. You saw stuff where you'd have players in misalignments or you know positions to not succeed where they're guarding players that they have they have no business. Like DJ Calhoun last year, he'd be split out against a. a a slot receiver. He has no business being out there. You now it's it's more downhill for them. It's more north south and then maybe east west. But you're not asking guys to do things that they're not in position to do. So I, I guess it, it's more regurgitation of your point earlier. It, they're being put in position to succeed. My perspective, and and something that Tagram even acknowledged to be true at Pac-12 Media Day was, he said, 
our personnel wasn't really the problem. It was what we were trying to do with our personnel yeah. was the problem. Now, I don't 100% agree with that because I don't think that they had enough quality defensive backs in the last couple of years. That You don't when you're having to move Gump Hayes to play corner and when one guy goes out, you don't know who you're going to play at safety or, or whatever. But and, and obviously they had guys get hurt the last couple of years and they really didn't know how to handle that defensively. But but they exacerbated their, their problems because Todd Graham still wanted to play this this ultra-aggressive uh, uh, um, cover zero style where everybody has to, to, to you know, cover a guy in space. And when one breakdown happens and a quarterback is savvy enough to see that, you, mm-hmm. you just give up all these big plays over the top. And Phil Bennett's not trying to play that way. He's just, okay, we're going to... We're going to rush three sometimes. We're going to rush four sometimes. Occasionally, we'll bring a fifth. And on a very rare occasion, we'll bring six. But it, but you don't know where it's coming from and who it's going to be yeah. and when we're going to do it. And we're going to play a lot of cover three. And we're going to play some, you know, cover two. And and we're just going to, you know, we're going to, we're going to just be really sound and thoughtful about, about what our approach is going to be. And, and, uh, and, Guys have said from the beginning that it was easier and that they and that they were yep. buying into it and they liked it more, and the results didn't necessarily all come as quickly as everybody uh, on the team probably wanted. But now, it's it's working, and 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 I still disagree with some things. Like I thought they should have been playing more guys earlier. Renell Wren should have been playing more more earlier. Right. Or George League, see what they could do. You know, we're still thinking about why aren't you playing nickel against Texas Tech or whatever. There's still some things that you can maybe make cases about, but overall you have to say that Phil Bennett stuck with what he was trying to do as far as installing the defense, and gradually over time they – actually I should say rapidly over over recent, recent weeks, they've gotten better and better, and now it's like it's a good defense. It's just a good defense now. It is. Yeah, and so, so we've talked a lot obviously about the transformation of this defense, but, you know – What's flying under the radar, I think, is how the offense has transformed from from the beginning of this year till now. I mean, we were talking about it before we started recording. You ain't never lied. <laughs> before we started recording, Todd Graham, you know, after I, I believe it was the San Diego State game, was talking about how you know they ran more plays in Texas Tech, a significant amount, uh, or no, San Diego State, sorry, more plays in San Diego State, and that's what they wanted: the the tempo, the speed, more plays, all that. And now we're seeing time of possession. We're seeing staying on the field, keeping your defense off to limit, you know, like we talked about limiting home run plays if the defense is off the field. I mean, it, it's just crazy. It's, it's wild. I mean, I don't, I don't really know how else to put it, just how much you've, you can transform a scheme in one year on offense and defense and then see success in the same year. Yeah, in the span of weeks. That's the crazy part. And, you know, what's funny is that I remember saying on, like, a, previous, like a recent episode, we were, uh, I was saying it's weird that they don't have an identity – you know, four weeks or a quarter of the way into the season, and now all of a sudden, ASU comes out the bye week, and it's like it's established. I know I still need to listen to what Graham specifically said about it, about the team's identity, and Chris, you could probably say it, but um, they they outpossess you. They're gonna punch you in the mouth. It's sim- it's similar to more of a Stanford style than an Oregon style. Like if you look at the Pac-12, you think about recent seasons, the teams that outpace you and outgun you and outscore you. ASU would always be, you know, maybe not, you know on the level of Oregon 
or another high-powered offense, but they'd be in that realm. Now they're teetering on the opposite side of the spectrum, more towards the Stanford's, the teams that, you know, out-possession, like we were saying earlier, it's like the meme where if you can out-possess the team and give them, you know, cut down their possessions, then the other team can't score. And it cre- it uh, allows you to al- – or it, there's less opportunity for you to screw up because we looked at statistically, ASU's defense is still – not, I mean, not necessarily elite, but it's it's average. It's like maybe around a C, C minus grade if you're going to p- put it on a national scale. But by the offense being able to stay on the field for so long, you create less opportunity for opponents to score. So it's definitely been a weird the transition. Thing, the thing is, Kalen, uh, these, these coaches didn't know what type of team they were going to have because they didn't even know really know their personnel or what they were capable of. So how can you really have an identity when you don't even know what you're going to be? And so that has sort of been revealed to them as they've started to play more games and, right. and, and figure it out. So throw all of the, we want to be up tempo and, 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 you know, play fast and do all those kinds of things. When you have a defense that is really stable and not giving up a lot of plays. And when your offense is capable of actually sustaining drives, I think it was Rob sale who said to us this week, that it's kind of like a, a, a family, right? Like your offense and your defense and, and your special teams are all working together in harmony to be who, what your identity is. And the best teams around the country, you know, you know exactly who, what they are. It's very like obvious. You look at Alabama, yeah. Ohio State, Wisconsin, um, you know, whoever it is at any given point in time, the Oklahoma, right? You know exactly what, immediately what they do offensively, what they do defensively, how they win games, what their style is. Even Todd Graham in the first portion of this season was saying, we don't have our identity yet. It hasn't been established. That's yet to be determined. I'm saying that like two weeks ago. So, yeah, so yeah, a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Like a couple of weeks ago, it's about trying to, you know, do something different on offense. And now it's like they're moving personnel in and out in series. As opposed, like the only way you're playing fast is if you keep the same personnel grouping on the field throughout drives, right? Then you get a first down, you get up to the huddle, you run the same thing out of the same formation, you, you're moving the ball fast, other teams not adjusting to what you're doing. This What we've seen is this team has not been – in the beginning of the year, they had some, you know, the five guys who had the 100-yard receiving games. Until the this last game against Utah when they had the t- back-to-back runs of 25 and 35 yards from Richard and Kalen Balage, there was no explosive component in the run game. They were just trying to sustain drives, figure out how to get the best personnel grouping and play for each situation to keep themselves on the field. And now I think the stat was that they've had – uh, 13 four-plus-minute offensive drives result in points when last year they had 10 in the whole season, and the year before that they had eight in the whole season. And you can do that offensively when your defense is getting three and outs and getting stops and kicking the opponent off the field. And so not only – like this, this isn't like getting back to playing winning football. This is getting back to playing winning football – but actually in a different way than ASU played winning football in 2012, 13, 14. 
Because remember, in those years, they were bringing this crazy six-man pressures, yeah. and they were more explosive of an offensive yeah. team. And their identity then, winning back-to-back 10 games, different than this identity of this team. I still say the identity of this team, for how new it is with Napier and, and Bennett and Sale and everything that they're doing, that's pretty impressive, and it's also very... It's very repeatable. I think they're going to be able to, to do this. Uh, and, and there is something to be said about the fact that the Pac-12 is down this year. And there's at the top, there's a lot of parity and who knows who the best teams are. And anybody can be anybody in the top six teams probably. But ASU now is one of the, those teams in that conversation. And there's just no way we thought that was going to be the case a, a month ago or even three weeks ago. And, and, you know, before we really get into the state of state of the program here, and Chris, you talk about this being a repeatable thing with the defense. So, and the and, offense, and and the and the offense, and the special teams. Yeah, I mean, I mean, and you know, and I've, the spirit squad, and <laughs> and the double inferno. <laughs> and, and going going into this Utah game, a lot of people were wondering: was Washington a fluke? Was Washington a fluke? And you know, people saw in the Utah game, you know, maybe it's not. But is there still a reason to be skeptical because we talk about Utah and Washington both being so similar Mm -hmm. and how ASU can play the same style of ball and be successful. So is it still too early to think of this as not a fluke just because you're playing two teams that, you know, their offenses are struggling. They have strong defenses, but they're just, it's just, you can play the same style of ball. Is is this really fully repeatable or is this just because you had a lot of success against the same style? I think it's it's got to be because you look at the way that they dominated against Oregon. It was still in a similar fashion. I know you know probably the talent the talent level is probably the biggest difference when you look at like a USC uh, more spread offense. Um, I comp them more so to Oregon than I would you know a Washington and a Utah who I think ASU favorably matches up well against. And obviously the final score ended up proving it where they have dominant defenses, but. You know, so-so offenses. I mean, Washington has a so-so offense. Same with Utah. They don't really have any, you know, dominant playmakers. No one that, um, you know, besides Dante Pettis, I think that's probably the best playmaker between those two teams that they face. But you look going up into this USC matchup, I think that'll be the opportunity to really gauge and tell, like, whether or not this is sustainable. Because you look back at the Texas Tech game, I'm sure, they, they were, one, they were on the road. Two, it was, what, their second or third game of the year. And they didn't know what their personnel really was. They were still figuring everything out. At this point, they're halfway through the year, and there's to me, there's no reason not to believe it's real. There's not going to be like a bunch of surprise if USC comes in on Saturday and scores like 40 points. Like okay, that definitely could happen, right? But I don't. I, there's no way I can really see USC just totally steamrolling ASU. I just don't like a blowout. I don't. I don't see that as very re- reasonable just given what ASU has been doing. And I think the the best the best way I could put this is ASU is going to continue to play much better football than it did in the beginning of the season or at, at any time in the last two seasons. That may result in some losses because football there's a lot of randomness in terms of turnovers mm-hmm. and big plays and whatever. But just the overall trend line of what we're seeing from this program it's very obvious to me that the rest of the way we're going to see better football than we've seen in the last two and a half years before, you know, that Washington game. Uh, I think you can bank on that. Actually. I think that is like going to happen. Um, that this team is better. This program is, is in a better position. Phil Bennett is, 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 is 
got got like they're not gonna probably go backwards with their secondary or with their with other positions. I don't think Napier and Sale are gonna do worse. You know, they're they're if anything that they're more they're still not fully mature in developing exactly all the things that they can do, and they'll probably only get better. And look, not saying ASU's gonna go and like run the table, and you know people are gonna be dancing on tables at the end of the season or anything, <laughs> but but. Uh, but the the analogy that I used, and I've said it a few times, is are they going to be able to get up to speed to be able to get their plane in the air before they run out of runway? Mm. I remember you They that. are now flying. <laughs> These guys are flying, right? They're not the, – the plane ain't going down. These guys are flying. Now, I'm not saying that they're definitely – going to get to keep their jobs or anything like that because I don't control any of that. I don't know what's going to happen with ASU's administration. Let's say ASU uh, only wins, you know, another couple games and they seven games and the, and some, the, you know, administration decides to do, do something. Okay, they could, but they were like done a few weeks ago, the mm-hmm, staff. Yeah. They were done. Like we were, we, we were already pouring dirt onto their grades. I hate to say that, right? But that's literally what yeah, that's everyone what was like, okay, yeah. this this, yeah. this thing is going to go off the rails. Yeah. They're going to win three or four games. And this is the gauntlet that they were supposed and to they're lose. They're going through the hardest part they of the schedule. They were supposed to lose. You're going to lose all these games. <laughs> and then they just were like, nah, sorry. And then they just like won like the they just like they just dominated in two games. I don't I don't think it I don't think it's changing. They're in the air. Yeah. They're flying, you know, there's going to maybe be some turbulence here and there, but they're not go, they're not going to crash. Wow. What a metaphor. But uh, but this you know really to move on to our, to the whole state of the ASU football pro- program, Chris, you talked about on the boards. You made a post about the improvement you've seen from ASU early on following the Oregon game. Yeah, that was uh, on September 30th, I believe, and it, and so you sort of sensed it in the second half against Texas Tech. They started to get the the hat for hat blocking and the run game going a little bit. Mm-hmm. One of the things that, regardless of actually looking at scores and what the outcomes of games are. You can kind of tell, okay, is this team structurally solid with what they're doing on offense and defense? Like, or are they just, do they just have guys uncovered on defense and they're just like all these assignment errors and breakdowns. Are they not able to protect because they don't understand what they're even trying to do with their protections or their blocking in the run game. And I, I didn't, I never thought that like, as bad as they were early with giving up sacks and the run game not working or whatever, the the fundamentals of what they were teaching were actually not poor. They knew what what they were at least trying to do. Mm-hmm. They they had a semblance of their of their concepts that was good, and um, and, and and so it so this really isn't that big of a surprise in terms of them being able to structurally you know do things reasonable defensively the outcomes have been a surprise Hmm. but not necessarily that they're able to put together a plan that's a reasonable plan uh, of action i think the coaching is actually good enough to do that todd graham said this is the best staff he's had now he's prone to hyperbole we know that right (laughs) right he had some he had a pretty good staff early on now you got yeah mike norvell is a a damn good head coach it looks like chip long is it just beat usc handily as offensive coordinator and you got chris balls you know they're doing really well other coaches but 
Is there anything that you guys have seen that leads you to believe that Phil Bennett isn't also a really good football coach? <laughs> that Billy Napier coach. isn't capable of becoming a very good offensive coordinator, even a head coach? That Rob Sale isn't capable of leading a good running you know, attack? He coached under one of the best uh, offensive line coaches probably in history uh, in, uh, in Les Miles. And so, um, I mean, I think you know, they're, they're pretty good. I don't know. They're pretty good. <laughs> I mean... Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know, I don't think you mentioned this in the post, but you just, you talked about we we talked about before recording just about the talent that Graham has brought in, and you know the the issues that have reflected the recruiting, and just really just trying to justify why they've had issues and why you know it took so long this season to get to this point, whether it be you know issues in the secondary, new new uh, new offensive coordinators really on both sides. So I mean, I guess really. I'd like to get both of your takes on this. You know, we've we've done this multiple times in the podcast throughout the year, but just assessing where the program is at right now going forward, whether that be the rest of this season or, you know, into next season. It's got to be in a good state. Uh, I know, you know, Chris, I, you probably have better – you obviously have better connections. Than I, I, I don't know whether or not Todd Graham is going to for sure get it, but there's no reason not to bring the staff back. You look at what they were able to do – just the pieces that they're going to lose. I think maybe defensively, like when you look at the front seven, those are significant losses. When you look at uh, DJ Calhoun leaving uh, to Sean Smallwood, but you're going to get back JoJo Wicker potentially. You get back Christian Sam potentially. Um, and then you look at the entire offense, essentially, that will be returning. And with this staff, I know it's in its first year, but you look at the – again, like just the, the wins against Washington – and Utah, like Todd Graham absolutely needed a win against Washington, and he managed to do that. And they didn't even play what I feel like was their best game, and the players didn't feel like that no. that was their best game either. So I think that you look at the potential down the road and what is being built and the, just the repercussions of that early on at this point, midway through the year, like it, it can only go up from here. So I, I think that you look at the program right now and you say it's trending forward. One of the things that – uh, I noticed when ASU lost those games to San Diego State and Texas Tech on our message boards, on Twitter, people really being critical of the talent and saying that they, the staff had done a poor job of recruiting and they didn't have the players that could be successful. And I, was, I, I really thought that, that was just totally dead wrong at, at the time. And... Um, we track recruiting as well as anybody, obviously, with ASU football. We did some very extensive reporting on this last year. Todd Graham has increased the number of four-star prospects on the ASU roster from when he took over to now, like, fourfold. It went from a half dozen of those guys to roughly 25 of those players. Now, that's not, like, a minor jump. That's actually, that's like, insane. a substantial improvement. <laughs> Of your of your talent. Now they were not using all of their talent properly, and they were probably least talented in the keyest in the most key area for their defense, especially last year with the last couple of years which was their secondary. That's where they had some had some flaws. So it's like on one hand, I kind of feel like I I, I didn't do a good job of predicting the games against Washington and Utah. Not that you really could have exactly anticipated what was going to happen in the Washington game, maybe Utah. But what I was saying for years that the talent is not the problem. 
it's just more of like the deployment and usage of your talent. And so that feels validating when you see them basically easily beat Washington, who's, you know, a pretty talented team. Maybe they don't have the receiver, as many receivers or whatever as, as they should. But, uh, and then Utah has put a lot of guys in the NFL and still has some pretty good players hanging around the program for ASU to go out there and, and play effectively. When you look at this roster, I mean, you guys know Demario Richard and Kalen Balage mm-hmm. and Nikhil Harry and uh, and John Humphrey and the wide receivers that they have and their offensive line has you know a handful of three of uh, four star players between uh, Zach Robertson, Steve Miller, Cole Cabral. Those guys are well regarded prospects mm-hmm. and. Uh, in, in their defensive front, you know JoJo Wicker and and Christian Sam and EJ Calhoun, they're you know they're they're good they're good players. And uh, in ASU had a bunch of junior college guys like like Jamarcus Rose was a four star guy coming out. So the talent, no nobody's saying that they're world beaters and it's like the, it's like SEC caliber talent or whatever. But in the Pac-12, it's there's more than enough to be not only not just competitive but to actually win. And a lot of it, of course, was also the development of Manny Wilkins because you need to have a really good quarterback in the Pac-12. Yeah. You're not going to win with a bad quarterback or poor quarterback play. His his play last year was 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 mediocre. He had this, you know, like a 50-50 turnover interception margin rate or whatever it was, and he made a lot of mistakes and stuff. He has improved substantially this year. Phil Bennett, the defense, the offensive talent's maturing. And how about this, guys? Mm-hmm. Why isn't ASU going to be better next year? That's my thing. That's no, that's exactly they're why. They're going. They're going to be. If you put yeah. yourself in Ray Anderson's shoes and you see this turnaround right now, yeah. what makes you think that you can make it any better by flushing it all? Exactly. You know, it's, you may now have Karan Crump back next year because because of, of his injury and possibly if he gets a if he gets an eligibility waiver. But on offense, okay, you lose your running backs, but running back if you have good running, they have they have other good running backs. They're going to be fine. They're everybody else is back. Manny Wilkins a senior. Mm-hmm. You know, Humphrey got hurt this year. Humphrey was really good before he got hurt. Uh, Jalen Harvey is back. Yep. Nikhil Harry is back. You look at their defense. Okay, you lose Tayshawn Smallwood, A.J. Latuba, Karan Crump, JoJo Wicker, Renell Wren, George Lee, Christian Sam comes back. Yep. Chase Lucas it was a redshirt freshman. The Kobe secondary Williams is a sophomore. Chad Adams. Yep. Daz Tauramatasi comes back. Now you have Evan Fields potentially in that mix too, and you're adding more athletes, some more athletes <laughs> into the mix. Yeah. They should be better yeah. team next year, mm-hmm. better than the team that's beating ranked opponents and playing well on the road, and all that stuff. It's 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 building. And, and another important point to this: the last recruiting class was a drop off because of the coaching turnover that they had. You, they lose half their staff probably their best recruiters. That's hard thing to, 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 to remedy in a short span. Well, in this year's class, they're recruiting California much better than they have in years. Yeah, already. Already. And that's Rob Likens. That's Billy Napier understanding the infrastructure of recruiting. Yeah. That is, uh, um, their recruiting offices, uh, you know, understanding, yeah. you know, kind of better what they need to do. That's putting more resources in, in, into the right locations. I, this whole podcast, of course, is going to come across like a sales pitch on Todd Graham and what he's doing. <laughs> but you, but 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 really, you have to give them a lot of credit. Yeah, words too for for what's happening now. Like, um, I, I'm going on a 
you know extended rant here. I, I know this, but but I just want to say <laughs> one more one more important point. In my years covering ASU, what I've noticed time and time again, basketball, football, what happens is coaches and their staffs figure out what their flaws are, but it's too late. They start to try to they start to adjust and try to make the changes that are going to be necessary to put them in the right position to be successful, but 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 they run out of room and then they you know it doesn't happen for them and they end up getting fired. Todd Graham was right on the precipice, maybe even is still right on the precipice of that happening to him. He yeah. was, you lose one or two more games and the thing spirals and you're gone. And no, think about it. Nobody would even be talking about anything about this. Like it's, this was like so close to just going the other way for exactly. them. And just gone. That's what blows my mind. Right? That's, That's what blows my mind. And now they're going to go from that to potentially being in the, the best overall health of the program that they've had ever moving forward. Yeah. It's very, very possible. So it is kind of mind blowing. It's probably unprecedented in recent decades at ASU and it doesn't change the reality being what it is. So now real quick to finish off here, let's get back to this season. Stop thinking about the long term and, and all that. Okay. We could do that. ASU now is in the race for the PAC 12 South. You think? And, and, and right now, they sit atop with one loss with USC and U of A. And half game behind USC. Half game behind USC. They've played, they've played one more game. Yeah. But, you know, I, I threw all their schedules right here. ASU's got USC, Colorado, UCLA, Oregon State, U of A. We talked about this a lot. I mean. What are the road games? Say the road games. You say them all. Road games? They're at. They're at. Let's see. They're at Oregon State and at UCLA. Okay. They're hosting U of A, hosting Colorado, hosting USC. And then you, I didn't write down the other ones, but the USC is playing ASU, U of A, Colorado, UCLA. Obviously, we know USC. I know we know USC is at home against UCLA and on the road against ASU. So that that probably means they're at U of A, and then I'm not sure about Colorado. I believe I believe they're at home against Colorado. I'll too. save you here. So you so USC at ASU, then U of A, then at Colorado, then UCLA. Right, only four games left for yeah. USC. Yeah. ASU plays USC, Colorado, at UCLA, at Oregon State, and, then home and Arizona. Arizona also three and one, same as ASU plays Washington State at USC, Oregon State at Oregon, at ASU. That's a little bit harder than ASU schedule. Yeah. Mm-hmm. UCLA at Washington at Utah. Followed by ASU at USC and Cal. That's harder than anybody yeah, else. UCLA might That's be. too hard. Yeah. Right? Utah one and three. They got to win out yeah. and hope for a three way tie. It's not going to happen. Colorado, they're out. So you have USC, ASU, Arizona. To me, this is the most important game in the Pac 12 South of the remaining games, unless ASU and Arizona keep winning and they head on a collision course for the last game of the year. If ASU loses to USC, ASU will be three and two. USC will be five and one, and USC only three games left in a head-to-head tiebreaker. ASU is going to lose that battle, so that means USC would need to lose two of its last three games: Arizona, Colorado, UCLA. Not going to happen. No. So ASU really, really needs to win this game, or somehow get into a three-way tie with USC and Arizona at two losses. But in that scenario, ASU would need to win out 
against Colorado, UCLA, Oregon State, and Arizona. Possible, but difficult. And Arizona would have to basically win out except for, a- for ASU. Very unlikely, mm. right? So that means ASU really, really needs to win this game <laughs> against USC to have a, real, a, a, a very real shot at winning the Pac-12 so South. We've, we've kind of joked about it all year long about how it, each next game is the most important game in Todd Graham's <laughs> tenure. But, I mean, even after – I don't think you can say after this USC game that any of these next those next games will be any more important than the USC game. Yeah, no, absolutely. Because this is going to really put everything in the balance. I, I look at the schedules, like, between ASU, USC, and U of A, I honestly – and this isn't, you know, like, I'm sure ASU fans will like it. But I look at U, U of A's schedule, it's too difficult. Yeah. Like just, I just I don't see them winning against Washington State, USC, Oregon, and ASU like that. That's that's four games. That I'm sure they're going to drop one of those. You look at USC, they'd have to finish out. You know, it, this is really it. I I, I look at the rest this of is it, the game. I think this is it for USC. Like this is it. It, it teeter totters the rest of their season. I think either it implodes here, you know, sort of like the tarmac game. Like th- this is really the teetering point for both programs and. I don't know. I think ASU, like like you said, Zane, like this is the most important game of their schedule. But you could, you guys could, you guys could see ASU beating USC and then USC beating Arizona at home, Colorado and UCLA, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. They're the most talented team in the conference. Still, it's just yeah. So they're so even if ASU wins, it still has to do really well. Like it probably win three of its last four games to still win the South. No, they they absolutely control their own destiny. I mean, unless yeah. I mean USC, USC. obviously has it. Yeah. No, USC does, and and to a sense, ASU does as well. Oh, they. Yeah. I mean, they they, they both I mean, control pending, their own destiny. Pending, pending this game, I mean, if I think if AS, obviously if ASU beats USC, then they control their own destiny here. Yes. Because I mean, USC, you know, with all the talent it has, they've been really sketchy at times, and that's why I yeah. think that U of A game is going to be really interesting as well, I think just so because too. the Khalil Tate factor. But yep. I mean, that's for a whole other podcast. <laughs> Yeah, um, but just the fact that we're even talking about this yeah. is kind of ridiculous. <laughs> we're talking about it's the kind staff of, It's almost kind of mind-blowing that we're talking oh about gosh. this. But, uh, That's insane. Yeah, I don't know. I had another point, and I forgot what it was. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. Yeah. You can, you, can, you can say it on the premium if you remember. Yeah. I'll definitely hold oh, it. Nice. That's yeah, nice, nice little plug Segway. there. We'll, we'll have our premium. You know, same same time later in the week, we'll look more into the USC game. We'll we'll get some interesting audio, uh, of course, from all the players <laughs> regarding USC, like we usually usually tend to. A lot of LA guys on the roster. Um, any <laughs> any any last points from you guys? Um, I'm still shocked. I don't I don't get it. This was supposed to be the stretch where, you know, ASU would go 0 and three, you know, conceivably if they country. flip it. It was. We it was. we statistically looked this up. This was the hardest projected stretch in the country, and they might go 3-0 during it. So I just want to say to, to those podcast listeners who have avoided us like the plague for the last like four weeks, welcome back. We're <laughs> really excited. Really excited to have you back. Don't worry about listening to any of that other stuff. Just, just, just listen to this a couple times. Uh, I know you're really excited about the rest of the season, and you probably should be. And we're going to be covering the crap out of it, as Phil Bennett would probably say or something. <laughs> we will be on the lookout for that content and all the obvious post-game content for USC. But from now until then, goodbye and uh, have a good day. You're back, ASU. <laughs> <laughs>